If you'd turn now as we finish up our time here in the book of Colossians. Colossians 4, we'll pick up in verse 9. Finish the book of Colossians before we move on next week to the first letter written to the church at Thessalonica. And so we'll, we'll take some time here in the second and the final installment of this study that I've entitled One Big Family. And as you look at these final verses, Paul only does what he does here one other time, and that's the church at Rome, to where he takes time to name all the people that are working with him in the ministry. And I think it's such a wonderful thing, because in this group that we'll finish up with today, we see a vast array of spiritual gifts. We see a vast plethora of talents We see some treasure. We see all of them giving time. And so what we really see is this picture of who we are as the church, as the body of Christ, and ultimately as his family. As we had opportunity to gather around our Thanksgiving table as you're seated there and and talking and and as it was uh, yesterday for us and also Thursday as well, as we're talking to the rest of our family that oftentimes we don't see a vast majority of the time. Some of the, the, my family came from the East Coast uh, for this year and, and so people that we hadn't seen in years. But when we gathered together, we began to talk about all the things that the Lord was doing in our lives individually. And we found out that we were engaged in a lot of the same things from a very different perspective and a different place. And so for us, we need to remember that we actually are one big family. And and as you sit here, you're not sitting with strangers. You're really sitting with people with whom you will share the remainder of eternity as the children of God. Amen? So think about what that represents as we conclude our time here in Colossians, as we really are this one gigantic global family that has a a job to do, a task to do, a goal to meet, and that is to see people come to faith in Christ and then to disciple them in following the Lord. And so would you pray with me as we conclude our time here in Colossians. Father, we are so, so thankful for the wonderful things that you are doing with us as a part of this giant family that is the body of Christ. And we pray that as we study your word this morning, as we read these names and recognize who they are and the gifts that you've given them, that we ourselves would be encouraged and strengthened and built up. Lord, that we would grow in faith and desire to be used of you. And so, God, we pray that you would bless us, that you would send your Holy Spirit to speak into our lives your truth, uh, the beauty of your holiness in this place. God, help us to hear from heaven as we spend some time now in your word. We ask these things in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Verse 9 here in Colossians chapter 4. And remember we saw Tychicus last time. And so Omnisimus is going to be mentioned next. And the very same things that were said last week about Tychicus are said about Omnisimus. And so we won't belabor those things. But notice he's faithful and a beloved brother who is one of you. And, And again, 
Note that for a moment because it's very important that there are a group of Jews and there are a group of Gentiles that are ministering with the Apostle Paul. And the division between those two groups of people was not just simply circumstantial like we go to a different church than you do. It was literally that the Jewish people believed that the Gentile people were dogs and that they could not have a relationship with the Lord. So there was a major schism before Jesus came and joined all of us together, Jew, Gentile, male, female, it didn't matter, race, creed, wherever you were from, in one we have been made into Christ. And so we are now this one big family that was formerly very separated. And so he uses this phrase, who is one of you. And they will make known to you all things which are happening here. And so the details of what was made known to them, we're not privy to in this particular letter, but there were things going on in the Apostle Paul's life, and he was being ministered both to and for. In other words, there were things that Paul himself needed. He needed some comfort. We're going to find out he needed some of his books that he had had uh, while he was ministering. He needed some parchment. There were things that Paul had need of. Remember, he's writing from prison. He's finishing this letter, writing from a prison cell. And so he does not have all those needs. So he needs to be ministered to. And at the same time, because God had called him, and God had sent him, and God had purposed in his life to use him, because of where he is, he now needs help being ministered in place of or for. And so we see this group, which contains a total uh, of seven different names. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you've received instructions. And if he comes to you, welcome him. And so he begins this list of names. And family, can I kind of point something out to you? It's hidden in the text here a little bit. But these guys weren't doing church together. They were doing life together. They, they, they weren't just coming and meeting for an hour on Sunday. They lived their lives intertwined so that wherever they went and whatever they did, they were part of each other's lives. And I think we've grown too accustomed to church being a place that we go instead of a life that we live. And church needs to be a life that we live, family, because we are brothers and sisters in Christ. It doesn't end when you go out the door. It actually begins when you go out the door. This is a place that hopefully we come and get encouraged and built up and we study the word and pray together and worship and we get maybe a little closer to God. But when we get closer to God, by nature, check this out, it's like a triangle. If you and I were all getting closer to God, we're getting closer together, aren't we? So we should be living like that outside the doors. That's why it says you are entering the mission field. Church isn't just here. Anywhere we are, that's church. So we need to see it that way. These men were helping Paul deliver. Uh, what we find from 1 Corinthians, they're delivering a love offering, one that was taken in Jerusalem. The church in Corinth had need, and so they're engaged in the work of ministry. You just sent a love offering to Uganda. You just sent a love offering to El Salvador. Pastor Steph just came back from doing VBS and children's ministry training. We're, we're building part of a, a learning center in Sunsal. We're sending these things out. 
Maybe you're not going, but you are providing for others to go. You are part of a family thing that's being uh, done all over the world. That's the way the body is supposed to work. It's not about just me or just you. It's about us collectively accomplishing the Great Commission, which if you really boil it down is two pieces. You see, people can't be disciples unless they first are believers. So we need to reach people with the good news of the gospel. And once we do that, we then need to disciple them so that they become as much like Christ and we become as much like Christ as we possibly can. And once we do that, then that by itself will expand into the whole world. We then take it to the next person and the next person and the next neighborhood, the next country, the next place that you happen to be becomes another opportunity for the gospel to be, to be shared and then to spread and grow. And so these men came alongside of Paul. And how encouraging it is to have someone who loves the Lord encourage us. Amen? Isn't that, it encourages me, so thank you. I am encouraged when people come, come and they say, you know what, I just love what God's doing. I'm so thankful to be a part of it. That's an encouragement. They come alongside, you know, because sometimes we feel like, eh, I, maybe you don't, but I, like, Lord, was that you? And then somebody comes along and says, yes, that was the Lord, because the Lord told me the same thing. You see, we're entwined in each other's lives. It's so important for us to be what God's called us to be, because when the world Family, don't, I, I don't mean to chastise. And so please don't take it that way. But when the world sees us divided, they see a divided Christ. When the world sees division in the church and anger in the church and hatred in the church, who is supposed to be bound together by the grace of God together in this unified whole that accomplishes the purposes of the gospel, when we can't do what God's called us to do, what do you think they think about their chances of being close to the Lord? So we have a real responsibility to be who God's called us to be. We need to be the family of God. They should see us loving and caring for one another, forgiving one another, and getting over ourselves. We sometimes need to do that, amen? We do. We, we kind of need to just let some stuff go. Because you know on this earth, we're going to have tribulation, amen? Didn't Jesus say that? I believe he did. And so if he said it, we can pretty much count on it. So if he says we're going to have some troubles, some things we won't quite understand, maybe going to have a tough time getting through, we might want to realize he actually meant that. You see, because then some of these other things, we can just say, you know what, that's just being here and being part of the family. Because when you gather together for a Thanksgiving meal, probably like everyone else in this room, you can say there were some things about that gathering. It's just like, oh, you know, it's uncle so-and-so or sister, and you, you kind of have some of that stuff, right? But you don't stop loving them just because they burned the rolls, <laughs> right? If you do, we need to talk after service. You're out of the family, you burned the rolls. <laughs> no, we let those things go, don't we? You know, they forget every once in a while. I don't know if you've ever had this happen, but some people should never bake pies. My wife, Connie, is not one of them, but we have a few folks in our family that they're like, they kill dough. And and they really shouldn't ever touch pies of any kind. And I've had a few of them. It's like, I think you left something out of this. It's called sugar. (laughs) 
but you don't throw them out of the family. You know, you go get some ice cream or, you know, or you pour the sugar on it when they're not looking. We need to treat each other with that kind of love and understanding. Sometimes we burn rolls, amen? Sometimes we ruin pies, amen? We're being people. People make mistakes. They do dumb things. Sometimes they even do them willingly. But we still forgive and go, that's my brother, that's my sister, that's my mom, that's my dad, that's my family, and I'm going to stick with my family. Amen? Both these men ministered to Paul. They also ministered for Paul. They helped him in those obligations he had in ministry. I want you to see how diverse this family is. And it's a beautiful picture for us because you have Jews and you have Gentiles. And these are people who not that long ago, before Christ died on Calvary's cross and made them one, they were about as two as you could get. They hated each other. They didn't want to be in the same space. They literally loathed one another. And so he begins with Aristarchus. He was from Thessalonica. He, he probably was Greek to some degree, uh, but he helps Paul. And you see in this man, Aristarchus, somebody who had, he had this gift of being able to say, you know what, if you go, I'll go. We need that type of person. We need the bold person, the one who will have that strength and that loyalty, possessing those kind of virtues. We need the Aristarchuses to come alongside to absolutely say, man, if you're going to get in the fight, I'm getting in the fight. We're going to find in Acts 19, this is one of the people that was with Paul with the silversmiths riots. He's like, man, these guys are fighting. Let's go get them, Paul. If you're in, I'm in. We need people like that. We need people who can still be gracious when the battle's raging. Those that can kind of go that extra mile. They're not afraid of the danger. You know, when you, when you send somebody out into the mission field, sometimes if you really are out in the mission field, it's not exactly comfy and cozy. You know, if you're really worried about four-star accommodations in the middle of Uganda, you're in trouble. You're thinking about that in, in El Salvador. You're in trouble. If you've got to have, you know, your double-double just right, you're in trouble. You need people to go, man, I'm going. What are, if it's rice and beans, it's rice and beans. I'm glad to have the rice and beans, and I'll go if you'll go. And so we have people like Aristarchus who had that grace to just say, you know what, <laughs> the battle's raging, I'm in. That was Aristarchus. We need those kind of people. And that type of faith is encouraging to people who are a little more timid. The Timothys of the world look at Aristarchus and go, man, I hope I can be like Aristarchus someday. And Aristarchus is looking at Timothy and go, man, I wish I had the tenderness and compassion of Timothy. And so we need all of these gifts, not just one of them. Every single person sitting here listening to this message has value to the Lord. Every one of you. And you need to see it. Find that sweet spot, that gift that God's given you, and use it for His glory. You see, we need toughness. But that toughness needs to be able to shine, and Aristarchus did that. When you pick up a diamond, it's one of the hardest substances in the world, right? But it's still beautiful. It still emanates light. As light shines in it, that light goes out of it. Aristarchus was like that. 
but secondarily, you have Mark next to him. And Mark is really a different kind of guy, and we, we know who he was. This is the author of the Gospel of Mark. This is the one who's been called alongside. This is, this is John Mark. But this is a guy that we find out is just super stable. He can be counted on all the time. No matter what you do, no matter where you go, no, you can always count on the, on the marks of the world. And in a lot of ways, because we don't know a lot about his character, all we do know is he was related to Barnabas and he, he was encouraging, but he was kind of an average person. Can I tell you, we need hundreds of average people in this church who, who are not after some accolade. They're not looking for something themselves. They're just willing to do anything, anytime, anywhere, and they will do it a hundred times in a row if asked, and they'll do it to the glory of God. Because you know what? When, you, when you're changing diapers, after the second one, you're, you're pretty much done. You know, it's like, okay, I'm over this. But, you know, if we had to change people every time a new diaper came, we'd, you'd all just have to make a line going through the nursery. So we need stable people, people who continue to do no matter what type of accolade they get or do not get. They don't even care just to be stable. The next guy that we see is, is Jesus it was a common Jewish name because it means it's a it's a transliteration of Yahushua or Joshua, which means God of salvation, and justice means righteousness. So it's God who is salvation, who is righteous, and, and we have this here because he's being distinguished from Jesus the, the Christ. But this is a man who had zeal still for the Jewish people. Where had Paul been called? Paul had been called to the Gentiles. But we know from the book of Romans that Paul still deeply loved his own people, but God called him out of being a minister to his own people, and he sends him to the Gentiles. So he's agonizing over his own people, the Jewish people who are still in Jerusalem. So who comes alongside but somebody who shares his heart? We need people that will come alongside and take a part of what burdens you, what God has put on your heart, and if you're not there, that will be willing to run with it. You, you see, as a pastor of the church, the senior pastor, the, the, the guy that does what I'm doing right now, in case you hadn't noticed, I can't be in the nursery right now. So I have to have people that, that love the Lord so much that they will do the things that really are still on my heart. I love kids. I spent 20 years in kids' ministry. I love kids. But I can't teach the high school study, the junior high study. So those things get turned over to someone who has a heart to carry on the vision of maybe a former thing that you loved. Jesus' justice was that guy. Furthermore, I want you to see a very strong distinction here. And I want to I direct you to a thought Paul was now ministering to the Gentiles. Paul was a member of the Sanhedrin, the religious court of the Jewish people. As we'll see tonight, Paul was likely complicit in the stoning of Stephen. He was a Pharisee. 
Paul was learned in the law. He says of himself, of all of the law, I was faultless. So Paul knew how to be a Jew really, really well. So he spent a vast majority of his time, so much so that Acts chapter 9 paints a picture of a man who's on his way to Damascus to kill Christians, to put them in jail. And God turns him who was a wall builder into the biggest bridge builder that ever existed in the church. Think about it. That was both a racial thing and a religious thing. He went from the Jewish people, which by the way is a race of people, amen? Jewish DNA is very, very specific, so much so that if you have it, you have it, and if you don't, you don't. So it was a racial thing. Paul was one of the first people to race across the racial line to build a bridge to people with whom he formerly tried to kill. And obviously the implication for us is pretty great, isn't it? He was a bridge builder, and he used Jesus to build that bridge. He said, look, I used to hate you because you were not a Jew. Can I ask you what bridge you're building? Or are you building a wall? Are we still building walls or are we building bridges? Are we willing to say, I am one in Christ and that's my brother, that's my sister in the Lord? And say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set aside these things that used to formerly make up who I am. And I'm in no way, shape, or form minimizing anything that could have been called the distinctive in your life, my life, or Paul's life. Paul acknowledged the fact that he was a Jew. Paul acknowledged the fact that he formerly persecuted the church. And now he's building a bridge. He's saying, look, I I don't want Jesus to be divided here. So I'm going to be a a builder of bridges. And I'm going to simply ask you, look for areas in your own life where maybe through your life to this point, maybe through some cultural understanding, maybe through some racial understanding, maybe through even some biblical understanding, maybe there's some place in your life where there's still a little bit of a wall. Build a bridge over that wall. Reach out to the people on the other side of that wall and say, this ends with me because this is not of the Lord. Because we are one big family. It's what our Bible says. And if we're identified with Christ, Paul actually goes on to say, what then? Is Christ divided? Of course the Lord isn't divided. So look for areas to where you can build a bridge. Talk to somebody with whom you may have formerly completely disagreed. We have all kinds of things in our life where the enemy is trying to divide us and separate us and put us into classes and categories to where we will not talk, we will not listen, and we will simply be separated and never reach the potential that God has for us. It's just time, family. The time is short for us to be who God's called us to be and to be a whole bunch more like Jesus' justice 
who is willing to reach across those lines and share the truth of a Gentile gospel with a Jewish audience. That should be us. Lots of areas that you can do that in. I think one of the great opportunities we now have in our culture, in our society, is reaching out across that line that there's a group of people that we we call homosexual or gay. Let me give you a little secret here. God loves people who are gay. And he wants them to come to faith in Christ. He wants them to flee the sin for sure. Make no mistake about what I'm saying. You can't keep the sin and claim Christ. You have to, but we've got to reach across that line. We can't just go, well, God's forsaken them. You know, or we could do the same thing. Well, they were born in Iraq. God forsaken them. Reach across the lines and find a way to offer people the hope of the gospel. Amen? Next, we come to the prayer prayer warrior, Epaphras. Oh, do we need more prayer warriors like Epaphras. This is all part of the family. You've got excitable ones who will go anywhere. You've got stable ones who do the same thing over and over. You've got bridge builders. You've got prayer warriors. See all these different kinds of people. This is the family of God. And it takes all of these parts functioning together for us to reach our full potential. He was a hero of the, of the Colossian church. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ. He was from Colossae. He greets you. Always notice this laboring. That word there is actually a Greek word that means wrestling, grappling with, headlocked on. He's going to go to battle in prayer fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all of the will of God. Anybody in here want the whole will of God for your life? I do. I want everything. Whatever God wants for me, that's what I'd like to have. You see, sometimes I need other people praying for me because I miss part of what God wants for me because I'm too busy doing something else. That's where prayer comes in. You pray for me, I pray for you. Sometimes I miss something, you may pick it up. And you're praying for me to receive what God has for my life so that we can be the very best that we can possibly be together. You use your gifts, I get to use my gifts. It's a beautiful thing. But he was a prayer warrior. He was willing to get down in the mud and get dirty and keep praying. You know, whenever you practice something, and whether it's wrestling or jujitsu or aikido or you know some type of you know martial art or whatever, you could put anything. You put basketball in there or football in there. You could even put golf in there. If you're going to be good at anything, you got to practice. Amen. If, you, if you're not willing to practice, if you're not willing to do the hard thing over and over and over and over and over again. I remember an interview a number of years ago with Tiger Woods, and he was talking about his practice regimen for being able to hit the ball, the golf ball, like he does. Now, for, for those of you that have never golfed, or you, you look at it and you think that's the dumbest thing ever, I, you know, praise the Lord, that's where you're at. But, but if you talk about the dynamics of hitting a golf ball, it's a very small thing. It's an inch and a quarter in diameter. It's a tiny little thing. And if it's off by one degree, it will be off the fairway by 50 yards. And so there's a lot of mechanics in there. And he said on an average day, he would go to the range and he would hit 1,000 golf balls. So the reason he could do that 
is he did the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over again until it became second nature to him. He no longer had to think about the swing mechanics. All the parts blended together. You see, that is something for you and for me that we can take to our prayer life. Sometimes we just need to pray over and over and keep praying and grappling and wrestling and going back into the gym with the Lord and saying, God, I know you want the full of your will for your church, and so I'm going to wrestle in prayer until it finally comes to pass. Be an Epaphras. All of you can do that. There's not a single person in here who can't wrestle in prayer. The, que- the question is, will you? Will we? Will I? Will we say, you know what, I'm going to go in the gym and I'm going to keep getting dirty. I'm going to keep getting sweaty. I'm going to go in there and, and, until I have total victory in this area. I'm going to keep wrestling because people's spiritual lives depend on it. He was a wrestler. Then he goes on, and I want you to see this. Notice what happens next, and he, he moves on to, to, to Luke, and, and he talks about Luke's wonderful gifts. Now look, it, it's interesting. You, you see, he says about him in verse 13, For I bear witness that he has great zeal for you, all those who are in Laodicea and Hierapolis. What he's saying is, Epaphras was for, praying for places that you and I would probably not pray for. Think about it. These two cities were spa cities in the Lycus Valley, in the Wolf River Valley. There were geothermal areas. These were Roman and Greek spas. This is where people went to do their hedonistic thing. And he's saying, look, I'm going to labor in prayer for some places like Las Vegas. And again, I'm not saying everybody from Las Vegas. People always send me emails. <laughs> you disrespected my... I'm not disrespecting your city. But I am saying that for, for our perspective, most of us would say, there's a reason it's called Sin City. So it would be real easy to say, well, you know, if they live there, they've been forsaken. They live in San Francisco, they've been forsaken. They live in a certain neighborhood here in L.A. Well, you know, God's not there. Oh, brothers and sisters, that's so not true. It's unbelievable. God wants everyone everywhere to come to faith in Christ Jesus. The question is, will we be the ones to say, I'm going to pray for them, and I'm going to keep praying until they're saved until God's spirit is poured out and by the way I have some friends in ministry in Las Vegas and they're doing absolutely fantastic the church is growing in Las Vegas but it's growing through prayer and so he says look verse 14 Luke the beloved physician and Demas greet you now it's interesting to me that he just has a one line statement about Luke but it's very important what he's saying Luke was a doctor by trade. So what is Luke doing? He's following Paul around, and when Paul needs medical care, guess who gives it to him? Luke. He's using his gifts. I'm a doctor. Maybe you're a teacher. Maybe you're a baker. Maybe you're a mechanic. Maybe you do landscaping. Maybe you're a stay-home mom, and you love an extra kid or two around your house. Use your gifts, your time, your talent, and your treasure for the Lord. That's part of the family. I can use what I have to bless you. You can use what you have to bless me. 
And it's all three component parts. It's your time. Your time is a gift from the Lord. He gave you a certain number of minutes every day. You use those for his glory. He gave you talents. Those are the things that you can do, gifts that you have, your mind, your intellect, your hands, any skills that you have. God gave you those. Use those. Your time, your talents. Use your treasure. Those are monetary things. Those are possessions, things that you have in your uh, stewardship file. Luke used the things that God gave him. He was a physician by trade, and he used that for God's glory to build up the body of Christ. And then he simply says, the brethren who were in Laodicea and Memphis and the church that's in his house, he highlights these house churches. It's a beautiful picture because not every church is a big church. You know, some, well, you know, you're really a church if you have 50 members. You know, I've actually gone to conferences where they say things like that. Until you reach 50 people, you're not actually a church. I actually had a pastor say that at a conference one time. And I went up to him politely afterwards and I said, you're a heretic. I said, can you show me that verse in the Bible? And he was thumbing through his Bible like he actually had one. He's, and, 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 and I said, let me tell you, not only do you not, there are actually house churches mentioned in the Bible that people met in, and they had no way, because those houses were about 12 foot by 12 foot square, and there in no way they had 50 people inside of that house. And he's going, well, you know, you missed the point. No, I said, you missed the point. The church is wherever two or more are gathered in his name. It's not about how big it is. It's about how beautiful it is. We are the church. Yes, this is the church. But the church is wherever people are gathered in Christ's name. And so it's a big family. And some of the family gatherings are small and some of them are large. But we're together in this thing. And we need to do life together ministry together to that end and by the way nymphus here is actually a dude that's not a woman that's a guy so you had a guy with a lady's name that had a church in his house god doesn't have all these distinctives that we put up he just calls us his kids and says you know what really glorify me is if you got together as one big family and acted like it and loved each other like it. And so those house churches that gathered together, you see them in Philemon, you see them in Acts, you see them in Romans. It's this beautiful picture. And he finishes up with a central thought, and we'll close with the same thought for this, ber- for this book. And that's simply read the Word. Notice verse 16 and 17. And now, when this epistle is read among you, now guess what? You find it in your Bible. They found it as a letter. This was the beginnings of God's word being circulated in the world. So now when you read this, you, 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 when this epistle is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans. And likewise, you read the epistle from Laodicea, which is likely the letter that we call the book of Ephesians. So he said, you know what? You guys need to read the word. We haven't put it all together in a single book yet, but the letters are out there. God had spoken into this world. It would be a little bit of time before they would be in the format that we see them. But he says, read the word. Pass it around. Encourage each other in it. And say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received 
in the Lord that you may fulfill it. And what he was really saying is, is if you do that, if you view the body of Christ the way you're supposed to see it, that we are one big family, if you do some very simple things, which is you use your time, your talent, your treasure, your gifts for the betterment of the body, we read the word, and then here's one final thing. Don't be a super starter. Be a fantastic finisher. Don't, don't go up in a, you know, in a blaze of glory and come down in the same ball of fire. Make it a steady climb to where God is using you consistently, frequently, and often. Be a strong finisher. Because if we'll do these things, we'll reach the world, we'll cause His will to be done, and we'll be the family that we're supposed to be. And the world will see that we are that family and they will want to be a part of the family. Because they'll see God's love in action. They'll see His hands of mercy. They'll feel that touch of grace. They'll understand that He cares about the poor and the downtrodden. He'll see those things which He should see when the church is being what it's supposed to be, which is one gigantic family. Amen? Let's pray. Father, again, we are so grateful. Lord, I'm grateful for this incredible family that is called Calvary Chapel South Bay, and, and we pray that this, this part of the body of Christ would be healthy and strong and that we would love one another with a whole heart, that we'd bring you glory and honor and praise. When you look down upon us uh, as your family, that you'd smile, God, because we're being like you want us to be. We're living the way you want us to live. And Lord, we pray that you'd change us and mold us where we have faults and failures, God, we, we ask that you'd help us with them. We pray that you'd overlook our weaknesses, God, and, and use us for your glorious purposes and plans. And so, Father, we commit ourselves to being your kids. We look forward to that day when our earthly travails are over, but in the meantime, how would we gather together as your family and just love on each other and in so doing, glorify our Father who is in heaven. We bless you, we praise you, we ask all this in Jesus' name. And God's people all said, Amen. 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 Why don't you stand and let's close in worship.